Let us now turn to the church's confession as we find it in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 16. As the Catechism here in these Lord's Days unpacks the articles of our Christian faith, summarized in the Apostles' Creed, come now to Lord's Day 16, dealing with the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And here we confess in Lord's Day 16, beginning at question and answer 40, why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Why is there added, he descended into hell? In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. So far, a reading of the church's confession. After the proclamation of God's word, let us respond in song by singing from hymn 68, stanzas 1, 2, 6, and 7, following the sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a world where many people are confused about death. It has been said that our culture is increasingly schizophrenic about death. Schizophrenic in the sense of, of inconsistent or even holding on to contradictory understandings. On the one hand, our culture treats death as just another medical treatment. And so under that guise, embraces abortion, and even more recently also euthanasia of the elderly, the sick, and the disabled. It's a natural process, a natural part of life, they say, and made... So make it speedier, make it smoother, if someone so chooses. It has also been pointed out that certain organizations that deal with death 
cloak themselves and cloak their activities with nice sounding names like planned parenthood or dying with dignity to conceal the fact that they are ultimately administering death. And in addition to all of that is the annual celebration of death every Halloween where death is glamorized, where skeletons and tombstones are passed off as decoration and provide fodder for fun and amusement. But on the other hand, our culture is, is terrified at the thought of death. And so youthfulness is, is idolized and great measures are, are taken to preserve beauty. Work is, is also championed to such an extent that your career path and your productivity are, are the things that define you and mark your success in life. Apart from the fact that this makes work into an idol, when death comes along, it interrupts everything. It robs you of everything and it leaves you with nothing. And so death undeniably causes major disruption, pain, grief, and loss. Nobody loves the prospect of all that. And so although the harsh reality of death still exists, yet many try to ignore it, try to downplay it, or to sanitize it. As death becomes the new taboo, even funerals are turned into celebrations of life. In such ways, our world wants to remove the sting of death itself in its own way. But it comes up empty in that attempt. Death still remains ugly and inevitable. And yet, for believers, the Bible gives us firm ground to stand on when it comes to the topic of death. For Christians know, just as well as everyone else, that death is awful, it's painful, it's a bitter reality. But we know that death is the wages of sin. It's the payout of sin. It's the consequence of the curse, something completely unnatural. It doesn't belong in this creation. It's an intruder. It's an enemy. It's a thief of life. And yet, without taking the reality of death lightly, believers also know that God has provided an answer in the face of death giving us hope and confidence and comfort in the face of death because we know that Christ himself experienced death and was victorious over it. Therefore, I preach God's word to you this afternoon as we confess it in Lord's Day 16 under this theme, Christ died to remove death's sting for us. We'll see first the mystery of his death and secondly the magnitude of his death. First we see the mystery. The substance of Lord's Day 16 is our comfort that comes from Christ's death. 
And the reason his death was so comforting for us was because he was the son of God. That is, it was the second person of the Trinity who underwent death. Now before we can fully understand that, we have to ask, what is death? Well, death is an experience, often accompanied by sickness or disease or pain. It's a frightful thing to have to die, perhaps from old age and the breakdown of the body, or perhaps as a result of suffering or violence or a tragic accident. Death also uh, is also something that causes separation between the soul and the body, breaking apart what God had created to be together. He made us body and soul. Death tears that apart. Death tears apart relationships, and it tears us away from all that we know. The Bible describes death in Psalm 23 as a dark valley and elsewhere as a bitter enemy, the last enemy. Death is the expression of the wrath of God, the, the punishment that God had long ago forewarned Adam and Eve that they would receive if they disobeyed his commandment. When he said, on the day you eat of it, the tree in the, of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, you shall surely die. What happens then in physical death provides an illustration of spiritual death. Physical death symbolizing condemnation and, and separation from God who is the source of all life and joy and existence. And the gospel, the good news, proclaims that Christ died. This is something we hear every week again. We confess it with the short phrase of the Apostles' Creed, He died. And as a result, we may grow very familiar with it. That meanwhile, we become less fascinated by it in a certain sense. It is such, such a time that we must be awakened again to the, the great wonder and the mystery of who it, who it was that really died on Calvary. It was not just Jesus of Nazareth. It was not just a wandering rabbi and teacher or miracle worker. But it was God's own son, the second person of the Trinity. Now we might be inclined here to say it was the man, Jesus, who, was, who died on the cross. It was human nature that experienced the death on the cross. After all, we would say, God cannot die, can he? The answer to that question is, though, though it is true that God cannot die, because in him we live and move and have our being, and he eternally exists, yet the second person of the Trinity, the mediator who was and remained true God and true man even, even in his death. 
It was the second person of the Trinity, God's own Son, who died on Calvary. It wasn't just his human body that died. It was the death that God himself experienced through his Son. There on the cross, it was not that he simply fainted or, or swooned or, or became unconscious. No, he, the God-man, truly died a real death. That's the astonishing reality, the mystery of Christ's death. We, now this should not be something that should get us all tied up in, in sorts of knots, of philosophical questions, but it is something that we must believe. It's an article of our faith. God himself not only came in the flesh, not only taught and did miracles in the flesh, not only suffered and was crucified in the flesh, but also died in the flesh. Nowhere along the line did God cease to be God at any point after becoming man. But in his experience, he laid down his life, the good shepherd for the sheep. As Paul writes in Philippians 2 concerning Christ, he says, He who was in the very nature God did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. God, the second person of the Trinity, did that in our nature. Romans 8 verse 32 says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And Hebrews 2 verse 9, he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In his suffering on our behalf as our substitute, Jesus Christ drank the cup of, of God's wrath down to the very last drop, down to the final drop of death itself. He did that because the wages of our sin was death and because the wrath of God comes into expression in death. And so Christ bore all the effects of sin. Didn't leave any of them out. In his life, that meant that he experienced hunger and thirst and grief and tears. But also and especially on the cross, he experienced the physical suffering and agony and pain and horror of death. This is what we confess when we say that he descended into hell. It was not that Christ went to the place or the location of hell, wherever that may be, after he had died, as some explain it to be, but, but it means that he experienced the, the full effect the full effect of hell's torment, death in all its fullness and all its ugliness, all throughout his sufferings, up to and including his burial in the grave. 
Maybe you've noticed that this comes out in the wording of the Apostles' Creed in hymn 2, where the word hell is nowhere to be found. But instead we sing, he died for us and then was buried, descending into death's domain. Death's domain. Wherever death dominates, that's where Christ went to destroy the power of death, the last enemy. He did all of this, his suffering and death, in order to face the wrath of God. Especially in the three hours of darkness on the cross, where he suffered the, the depths of of the agony and the torments of hell that we deserved as the wages for our sin. And he expressed that when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we confess the, the mystery of Christ's death, that the Son of God exper experienced this bloodshed, this death, this alienation and abandonment and forsakenness from God. Now why is all of this important? Well that brings us to our second point looking at the magnitude of his death. We begin to understand something of the magnitude of Christ's death when we consider what his death accomplished. And what was that? Well, let us look at three things. The first thing it accomplished was the destruction of the power of death. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ removed the sting of death. The word sting has the idea of, a, of the sting of a scorpion's tail, which when it swings around at you and it hits you, it mortally wounds you and kills you. The sting of death is gone. And so Paul says, oh death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, where is your victory? Christ removed death's sting. That's the point here in 1 Corinthians 15. And once the sting is removed, now when the scorpion's tail, that is death, swings at us and strikes us, it's not poisonous. It's not mortal. The sting of death is sin. And so as we as as long as we are are under under sin when when the scorpion of death strikes us it leaves us with a, a mortal wound. But this is what Christ did for us who believe. He faced the scorpion of death. He was stung. He was struck by the sting of death. Our sin was placed on him. He took our sin to the cross. He was made sin for us, the scripture says. And yet, it could not kill him. 
So when he went through the experience of death, he removed the sting of the scorpion's tail. For death could not hold him. Death had no power over him. He removed that sting for us, for all who belong to him. So that when death strikes us, it will not destroy us. Because Christ went to the cross to pay our penalty, to steal us out of, of the grip of the devil, now death becomes a servant and no longer a master. That's the second thing. And that's what question and answer 42 is getting at. Since Christ died, why do we still have to die? Why do we still have to go through the, the reality, the painful reality, the sad reality, the experience of death? Why doesn't God simply transport us to heaven like he did for, for Enoch and for Elijah? The answer the catechism gives is so pastoral here, saying as it were, our death now simply brings an end to our life lived in the context of sin and misery, and it serves as, as the passage that takes us into eternal life and sinless life. So death cannot harm you, ultimately, cannot hurt you, ultimately. Death is not even the punishment upon your sins, for in Christ the curse has landed on another. And the sting of, of death has been removed. Death is now our entrance into glory and everlasting life. This way of viewing death is, is an incredibly powerful testimony that we have as Christians. As we witness to our faith in this confused world that has no hope. For others will see us facing the prospect of death, not with fear or, or crippling anxiety, but with calm and poise and peace, so far as we know Christ and what he has done. And then there is also the third thing Christ's death accomplished, which was that it defeated the power of sin in our own lives, in your life, in my life. That was Paul's point in Romans 6 when he addressed the struggle that, that exists within us as Christians as we fight to overcome the sin that remains in us. Paul wanted his readers to, to change the way they see themselves, how we see ourselves. For there are a couple of wrong ways in which we might think about ourselves. For one, there are people who think of themselves as basically good. Basically good. They think they're alright. They think of themselves in terms of their potential. They don't take seriously enough the effect of sin and the fight that needs to be waged every day. 
They underestimate the devastation and the destruction that sin has caused in this world and in their own lives. Forgetting that picture scripture gives us, that powerful picture in Ezekiel 37 of a, a valley filled with dry bones depicting the house of Israel, but by extension, all of humankind, lifeless, unable to respond, unable to lift a finger to do anything without the Spirit. But there are other people, perhaps this is more common, who may not say so in, in so many words, but they may indicate by the, the kinds of comments that they make that they have no hope. They're the type of people who say to themselves or to others, I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone. I cannot right the wrongs that I've done. I cannot escape my past. I, I'm hopeless. I, I'm utterly depraved. I cannot overcome my sin, my struggle. I'm always giving in. What would we say to someone like that? Here's what Paul says to people like that. You should consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Now we must understand that this is not wishful thinking. This is not Paul saying, so long as you think hard enough, try hard enough, work hard enough towards it, then it will be yours no, he says, this is yours. Listen to the catechism. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? In other words, that's asking, what difference does this event from 2,000 years ago and climbing have for you today? And tomorrow, and the next day, in the life that you live, in the struggles that you face, in the temptations that you endure, what hope is there for you? And the Catechism says, through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him. That's what it means that the evil desires of, uh, of the flesh no longer rule us. They may tempt us. They may taunt us. They may entice us. They may uh, appeal to us in our sinful inclinations. But in Jesus Christ, there is this overwhelming sense that the, of the glory of the gospel, of the power of God's grace, that he has given me victory over these things, over these sins. I am a new creation. I have new desires. I am not enslaved to sin anymore. I have freedom in Christ Jesus, freedom to live dead to sin, freedom to offer myself on God's altar as a sacrifice of thankfulness, giving him true obedience. I have encouragement to embrace God's will and to keep every one of his commandments out of thankfulness, 
even though at times I might stumble and fall and fail, but I go again to the cross. And so looking to the cross, I can always find comfort and encouragement in the death of Christ, that my sin has been defeated. God's wrath has been turned away from me. That means that even in times of doubt, even in times of fear, even in times of great struggle and temptation, we can say, Jesus Christ died for me. God's Son died for me. And so sin's power is broken. The chains have been loosened. And I've been set free by God, my Savior, who has died for me. What better news could there be for us than that? What could produce a greater confidence in the face of death? At the center of our Christian comfort is the cross where death and its power has been disarmed and defeated. And because of Christ's death, we know that sin and all of its damage and all of its destruction and all of its debilitating power against which we have to struggle all the days in our life will ultimately dis be dismantled and one day disappear. And so we sing, Jesus is our sure defense. Why should we then fear or waver? All our hope and confidence rests on Him, the risen Savior. That fills us with hope even in our darkest hour. Amen.